0: We're in our third installment of a series about how to follow Jesus and what that means and we covered a lot of great things, been very inspired from the, from, our, from the Bible what Jesus actually says about following. And so today I want to answer the question. When, where, last week we could talked about where you are on the steps of following Jesus. Um, today I want to talk about and answer this question if you're following Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus or you're trying to follow Jesus, where does that lead? Where is He leading you? What is the end game? What is the ultimate consequence or goal? Or what's the points? What's the reward? Is it so you can be a better person? Well, the answer to that would be, you will be. You'll forgive more. you have better relationships. You'll be more generous. You'll help people. However, when you read the Gospels, follow me and be better is not the point Jesus is trying to make. Is the end game heaven? The answer is no. Jesus never equates following Him with going to heaven. Now, you might end up there, but He doesn't overly emphasize that in His teachings. In fact, He promised heaven to a non-believer on the cross who wasn't following Jesus. And He promised Him heaven. And He didn't do a thing. So, maybe that's not the answer. Because the guy we, who he who saved that day was a criminal, was crucified with Jesus. One guy was like, You get what you deserve. And then this guy's like, You know what? Please remember me, Jesus. And he remembers him and he tells him, You're going to be in paradise that day. Is it to live a problem free life? Pain free living? Absolutely not. That's Magic promises you that. Magic promises, promises you problem-free, pain-free, not Jesus. Anyone who offers you a formula that guarantees pain-free, problem-free living is offering you magic. And magic works for some people because we are highly superstitious in the United States of America. When we feel things are out of control, you know, and I grew up with this, my mom would do stuff in our house that was extremely superstitious. She'd have little figurines and statues placed in certain places of the house. And she'd come back and she'd splash a little water on that guy. And we'd be in our bed sleeping. It's like midnight. We're literally asleep. And i feel water on my face. She'd come in and she'd mutter something. And I'm like, what's going on? And my uncle and I, we shared a room growing up. And he would say in Spanish, bruja, bruja. You know, he's just saying, calling her a witch. You know, hey, what are you doing? He's just freaking out. What's what going on? We didn't understand what's happening in our house. I grew up with a little bit of that in my life. That if you, if you throw this water on you, your life will be blessed. <laughs> You'll wake up one day and say, my life is good. <laughs> But my life got worse when the water hit me. I actually wanted to avoid the water. Some people will buy a little figurine because they so badly want to sell their house. And they want to bury little St. Joseph in their property so they can sell their house. This is real. Look at Amazon.com. Next slide. This is real. This is a real business. That's what people do. You having trouble selling your house? Have no fear. Have no fear. Just buy little Joseph figurine, bury him in your front yard, say a prayer, and your house will be sold immediately. Wow. It's on Amazon.com. It's shocking, but it's there. They have many versions. They even have a kit for you, a how-to kit. Yes, following Jesus will actually help you avoid some avoidable problems and avoidable pain. Yes, that's true. But following Jesus may also create new problems and a new sort of pain in your life. In John 16, verse 33, it says, In this world you will have trouble, and that's a promise, Jesus says. But I think we already knew that. So look with me in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to have it on the screen for you for those who don't have their Bible. And we want to answer the question, where is he leading us? What's the payoff? Where does all this lead following Jesus? Where is he taking us? So this passage illustrates three groups that are following Jesus. There's a local group from that local area. There's the general disciples. And then there's the 12 apostles. And Jesus has called the twelve together and told them they are officially in his inner circle. You are the twelve. And he gave them instructions to go here and there and how to proceed. And then he gives them a warning in this passage. And the good news of what he warns them about, you don't have to worry about. But there is a principle embedded in that warning for all of us to take heed to. So let's begin together In, in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and, Thomas and Mac, uh, Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in in your belts. No bag for your journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at the house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day, on that day of judgment than for that town. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in their synagogues. As you're hearing this, you're like, what? It was, good. It was all good. Like, yeah, I'll go to this town, eat some know. dinner, hang out, be fun. If they're not open, it's totally cool. What'd you say? What's that? I mean, if you're there and you're listening to this, you go, this is exciting. And then he goes in there and they get you all, wait a minute. I'm going to be flogged in the synagogues? I'm going to go to church and share about you and get flogged? Verse 18. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you'll say or how to say it. What? Do not worry? I'm going to freak out. And you're saying, do not worry? At that time, you'll be given what to say. I don't want to be, you know, the reaction is, I don't want to be given what to say. I want to get out of jail free card. Don't tell me what to say. Get me out of here. Right? That's what I would be thinking. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of our Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. You know, I'm I'm going like, why is he telling him this? Why are you saying this to your twelve and to everybody else? Why are you going on about this? Where is he leading us? You're scaring us. You're putting fear in us. And Jesus goes on with the same kind of thing in verse 24. He says, The student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teacher and servants like their master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, which is kind of a demon... How much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Then, in verse 28, do not be afraid. Remember, he just got telling him you're going to be arrested, beaten. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. He is saying in summary to them, bad things are going to happen to you guys. Don't be afraid when they do. God has it all worked out. And what was his point? It's clearly not, don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen to you. Clearly not. There's no magic pill. The Joseph figurine didn't come out till way later. Rather, don't be afraid when bad things happen to you. So where is he leading us? The destination when you follow Jesus is that your faith will overwhelm your fears. That's where he wants to take you. Because we get scared very easily. We get scared when there's a conflict in relationships. Mm -hmm. Jesus is taking you. He says, you're going to follow me. I'm going to lead you where your faith overcomes your fear. That's where he wants to take you. Yes, is heaven the bonus? Yes, heaven. But that's not what he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching them when you follow me. Where I'm taking you, the end game is that your faith will be so big and so deeply rooted in your Heavenly Father's love for you that fear will no longer be a driving force in your life. Worry will be replaced by peace. I don't know about you, but when I get worried... The only thing that can calm me down is the realization that God is completely in control. When I lose sight of that, I keep freaking out. And it snowballs. And then I I know I want to pray, I should pray, I don't pray, and it gets bigger. And the snowball is so big that I'm just too fearful to ask God to help me. And then the snowball gets big and I said, well maybe if I wake up tomorrow and I start my day with a prayer, it will all go away. But what happens is I'm up all night tossing and turning. And I wake up and I'm, then I go, I'm too tired to pray. <laughs> so I just tell God a little, you know, Lord Jesus, a, I love you. As a fire my da. And I say, that's it. And I, it's a 10-second 10 10 prayer and I move on. That's not where, where following Jesus will lead you. He's trying to take you to a place where your faith overwhelms your fear. That's why he can say on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he can say this, you have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows you need them. When we start talking about money, we get scared. We get fearful. And Jesus, if you're going to follow me, I want your faith to overwhelm your fear. That's what he's saying. You have little faith. In Mark 4, when they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm blows in and Jesus is asleep during the storm and his disciples say, and he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, literally. They feared a greater fear. What if your faith were that big? Jesus gets up, calms the storm, says, be quiet! And, then, whoosh! and they're like, who is this guy? Because following Jesus and where He wants to take you is to a place where your faith overwhelms your fears. Your fear of, will your children ever become Christians? If you're a parent, That scares the bejesus out of you. And if you start doing things in fear, you will walk away from the path that Jesus is trying to lead you to. He's saying, come follow me. Come follow me. Because where I'm taking you, I'm going to take you to a place where your faith is so big, so deeply rooted in God's love for you, that it overwhelms all your fears. Because you trust Him. No matter what happens, you know He's in control. Imagine that. Imagine living your life without fear or without worry. I mean, we were, that's why we go to the movies, right? Because we want to see it like, I just need to see someone in fantasy world. And our culture is, loves fantasy. We love to go to the movies. We love to play video games. We love everything. We don't even want to deal with our reality And then 14 hours later you realize, what time is it? (laughs) That's where we go. Because we don't want to deal with our worry. We don't want to deal with our fears. We want to go to somewhere else. Imagine if you could face your fears and overwhelm your fears with faith. Imagine your life. This is not the same as being arrogant or cocky. In fact, arrogant and cocky people are scared to death. Yeah. They just like to compensate for their fear by being arrogant and cocky. So whenever you see an arrogant and cocky person, just know in your heart, that man is scared to death. That woman is scared to death. I need to get in there because he's scared. But when I'm arrogant, that's because I'm scared. And I must be a man. Imagine not worrying about tomorrow. Because you believe God is in control and will meet you with the grace you need for your day. Imagine that. Imagine that. Why faith that overwhelms fear? Why that? Why lead us there? Why do that? Well, two things. Overwhelming faith honors God. That's why. It honors God to live As if he is who he claims to be. And he'll do what he promised he'll do. That honors God. Overwhelming faith honors him. Because you believe his promises. You believe what he says. If he says this, I believe it. That honors God. That's where he's trying to take you. When you read his word, he means it. You know, the perspective of a parent. Just to illustrate this example. It's honoring to overhear one of my kids defend me. It is. When our kids say, no, 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 my dad would not lie to us. My dad would not lie to me. It's honoring. It's cool when you, your kid's telling another kid, no, your dad, he didn't tell us to, no, no, my dad would never lie to me. I felt honored. Like, Come on, baby. It's right. <laughs> felt Good. That's the kind of perspective Jesus wants us to have when it comes to God. But God has answered my prayer. You know, sometimes the best thing God can do is not answer some of your prayers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know He's really God sometimes. Because go, well, after it after all settles and dust settles, was going, Whoa, if you would answer that prayer, I would have fell away. Yeah. I would have been gone. <laughs> God knows exactly what you need. Sometimes we get hung up like, God didn't answer my prayer in 20 years. I've been praying for my parents to become Christians since I was a Christian. And there's, no, there's no evidence that they'll ever become Christians right now. But do I believe they'll become Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. If they don't become Christians, God is the perfect judge, not me. That's the faith where He's trying to take us. God is most honored. He receives the most glory through our living, death-defying, outside of the box, doesn't make sense, trust in Him. When the world is saying, no, and God says, trust me, you go, I trust God. I'm going to put the Cosmopolitan article down. I'm going to the Word of God. I'm going to camp out there. And walking by faith means doing what you would do If you were confident that God was literally walking next to you. That's where he wants to take you. Number two, overwhelming faith frees us to love. Look in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. You cannot be loving when you're fearful. But perfect love drives out fear. You cannot love your enemies or fear them or fear the consequence of loving them at the same time. You can't forgive those who hurt you and fear them or fear the consequences of forgiving them. That means we might be friends. That's where he's trying to take you. Only extraordinary faith in the sovereignty of God can empower a person to do that. To live their life most of us, the fear cup is halfway full as we start the day. And then something spooks us. There is no fear in love. Perfect fear, perfect love drives out fear. You ever met anybody like that? People say, I'm just trusting God to see me through as their life's falling apart. I believe God will use us for His glory and my good. I hate those quotes. God is in control. This took me by surprise, but it didn't take him by surprise. I'm like, can I have your soul for a day? But that's where he's trying to take us. See, sometimes I feel the older I am as a Christian, the more cynical I get as a Christian. That's my struggle. It's like, I know he's in control, but will he act? So I'll get cynical. He may act, he may not act. I have to work hard as I get older as a Christian to completely trust everything he's doing. Everything. And that's empowering the church. That's giving responsibility to the church members to live out their faith for God. And you're doing a great job, by the way. You're giving responsibility And you're faithfully doing what you should as a Christian. That's a good thing. I find myself wanting some of that faith like that. That out of the box trust. And that's where Jesus wants to lead us. Over and over in the Gospels, that's where he's pointing people. And the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what a life would look with perfect faith. That's what it would look like. It's the ideal. He's showing us the idea, this is where I want to take you. That's the journey when you follow Jesus. Can you imagine how liberating that would be? That God is in control, therefore I am not afraid. We get afraid as parents that I make a mistake, it'll eternally jeopardize my kid's salvation. Like, oh, I made a mistake, I blew it. Now he's never going to become a Christian. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. I sin against my children every week. They get 52 sins a year guaranteed in my life, me and my son or daughter. They get at least one time I sin against them, at least once a week. Okay? I sin against them. There is an apology in my house every single day because someone is hurting someone in our household. I don't like when there's no school because when they're, when, they're when they're home with us, more sins happen. This Monday, there's a, there's a holiday. I'm going, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be fights and warfare. Yeah. <laughs> but if God's in control, then I'm going to be humble. And when I'm humble, usually our, our, all our fights get resolved. Every single one of them. Every single one. Now I knew how to fight with Juliana, hurt her feelings, hurt Jane's feelings, hurt Karen. That's three people already. And it's 10 a.m. This is what it's like. That's why he's leading us and showing us and teaching us to have a faith that overwhelms our fears. You know what Karen is tired of, you know, with me? we have been married 15 years. I usually do the same sin over and over again. I'm pretty good about doing the same thing that hurts her all the time. And you would think, man, after three years of getting challenged and talking about that, that would just overcome I would be a real Christian. Right? You would think that. And it's not like I'm trying to be a mean or trying to be hurtful. I don't wake up going, how can I hurt my family? I don't wake up that way. This is stuff that's been ingrained in me for years or two decades of just sinfulness and I'm still trying to get it out of my system. Still trying to get it out. Yes, should I put my cup of empty coffee in the dishwasher? I, sh- I know that. I know that. I know I should do that. I know I should. And when I'm done, I just throw it in the sink and walk away. It's what I-, I know she's told me that yesterday and this morning after my third cup, put it away. And I don't know why I keep doing that. It's frustrating. And are saying, this person isn't serious. And she gets intense. And I was like, and I either get intense. But that's the dynamic. And she's got things that that, that irritate me. I'm not going to say it publicly because I want my marriage to last.
1: I want to make it all the
0: way. But I'll just embarrass myself for public sake. But there are things that we both... Are annoyed at each other with, but that's what makes her, her, and me, me. And those imperfections is the good stuff of marriage. Because remember, what's a relationship? Everyone does everything right. Hi. I want the relationship. Because usually after we fight, there's a bonding moment. I'm sorry. I love you. We get closer. It's bonding. It's awesome. Imagine if that didn't happen. The only person who had perfect faith, as anyone who never actually saw Jesus, was Paul the Apostle. 25 years or so after Jesus, Paul said something that once again puts the bullseye on the mark that Jesus is where he's trying to lead us. In Romans 8, 28, look what Paul writes. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He wrote that and never saw Jesus. He's writing it saying, we know that whatever happens, all things, God works. God works when your kid is not a Christian. God works when your marriage is struggling big time. God is working for the good. When your husband is away or your wife is away, he's working for the good. Next verse, same chapter. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. If you believe like Paul that God is for you, why do you fear so much? Why are you scared so much? Why does sharing your faith petrify you so much? He's for you. He's with you. But do you believe it? That's where he's trying to get you to follow him and go there. Follow me and get there. Because most of us, we're going to be here a long time. And it's his, his wisdom to say, hey, this is where I want you to be while you're living on earth. Do this. Believe this. Next verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness? Or danger? Or the sword? Should joblessness do it? Should a prodigal child do that? Should diminishing health do that? Should an unfaithful spouse do that? Should a dishonest boss separate you? Should the Republicans in the House and Democrats in the Senate startle you? Gio, I'm not there, man. But that's where he wants to take you. That's why you gotta keep following. Because when you stop following, you start judging. You gotta keep following. Remember, all those who followed Jesus, they weren't there when they started. In fact, the whole most three years, all of these guys were, were wondering whether he was really from God. The twelve apostles at the beginning, they ran away. That's why following Jesus is so important to know where He's trying to take you. And He says, he says this, follow me, And your faith will get bigger and your fears will get smaller. That's where he's trying to take you. Big faith, smaller fears. And when life seems to be spinning out of control, Jesus is trying to whisper to you, do not fear. Follow me. Because he writes in John John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So to conclude, the message for this morning is, following Jesus, where is He trying to take you? He's trying to take you to a place where your faith overwhelms all your fears. Thank you for coming this morning. Look forward to seeing you next week. That concludes our service. Have a great afternoon.